So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. So here's a question for you. What if the process of discovering our purpose in life was actually much simpler than we've ever made it out to be? What if we just need to be able to recognize something very simple about ourselves, and that is how it is we express ourselves in the world at a most basic, visceral level. If I was to apply that simple filter to today's guest, Lara Sutphin, who's a former colleague of mine, the answer, I think you'll agree, becomes pretty obvious. Laura expresses herself as a teacher, meaning Laura seemingly needs to teach as much as you and I need to breathe air to live. As you'll soon hear, Laura has so far had an amazing career in which she's done a whole bunch of teaching. Today, Laura heads up the social purpose practice at the Golan Public Relations Agency, a job through which she effectively teaches Fortune 500 companies what it means to actually have a conscience. By the way, a teaching job she's had for the past 20 plus years, both as an entrepreneur in large agencies and as an entrepreneur, having built and run a social purpose agency of her own. And for nearly as long, Laura has also been a practicing Jiva Mukti yoga instructor. And just over the past five years, Laura has added parenting to the mix, a role in which, not surprisingly, she actively sees herself as a teacher and guiding light for her little adorable boy. So without further ado, and to help us shed a bit more light on this idea of recognizing our core expression, I give you Laura Sutphin. Thank you, first of all. My pleasure. For taking the time to be here and willing to share your journey course. Um, so let's let's get started. Question number one for you. Are you today where you thought you would be when you were younger? <laughs> what an awesome 10,000 foot reflective question. Yay. In many ways, I think I would say yes. Um, though I caveat that by saying that when I was little, um, I told my mom that I wanted to be a movie star. Yep. And then when I was in college, I thought I would be the next Pauline Kael, who was the first woman film reviewer um, to be taken seriously. Um, right. she, and she wrote for The New Yorker for a number of years, and she was scathing in her brilliance and her reviews and her writing. And I really wanted to be the next Pauline Kael. So am I exactly where I thought? No. But from a holistic happiness contentedness perspective in life and work, yeah. I would say for sure. That's awesome. So let's, if you, if you don't mind, let's, let's, um, I want to walk backwards a little bit. Okay. You wanted to be this reviewer. I at, did. At, at what age did you sort of have that idea? Well, I, so I went to Syracuse University. Um, my original major was supposed to be musical theater. And my dad said to me, you know, why did she choose a major that might actually be something that you can fall back on or use if theater doesn't work. Right. And it was really good advice. <laughs> right. um, I ended up going into a major that was experimental at the time called critical theory. And it was a takeoff of the um, English major, the classic English major, but it was sort of a modern twist. And it really taught me how to think. And there was a, a line of coursework, which actually became my minor, which was, um, I was a minor in film noir. 
Yep. Um, specifically awesome. studying, yeah, studying everything that had to do with the, that, that era and films of that era um, and the culture. I know it was, it was really um, powerful, a powerful time in my life and of my learning and sort of of my, my setting of a lot of things around women and um, the power of women um, yeah. because the femme fatale was born straight out of the, the era of film noir. So it was because of that in my minor in, uh, in, in film and film analysis that I wanted to be a film reviewer. And um, I really thought I was going to like get out of college and go straight into it. Yeah. Um, and that, that didn't really happen. I quickly learned that you actually needed to get a PhD in film and film study to be taken seriously. And the pay wasn't that great. And it was kind of grueling. And it wasn't as creative as it sounded. Um, and then life and work took me in other directions. So yeah. it was sort of a college thing. Got it. And so before... Um, and even before that, as a kind of younger child, you wanted, did, did you, were you kind of the acting type? Um, I was. Yeah. Uh, very young. I, I mean, I started piano when I was four. I was playing the viola in first grade. So I was a musical, really musical child. I was singing really young. And I, I did do theater very early. And it's funny, in high school, you know, you always identify with those different groups. And I was... I guess I'm not ashamed to admit it now that I'm old, but I was a cheerleader and on the homecoming court, but I was also my, the friends, the people who I really spent my quality time with were like the theater geeks because uh -huh. they were funny and witty and they got money Python and you could have like discussions about God and just, you know, bigger kind of bigger ways of seeing the world. And yeah. I craved that, um, in my small town America that I grew up in. And, um, so I, I sort of was a theater geek, um, yeah. with different trappings maybe. That's awesome. So can we challenge your dad for a second? Yeah. Hit it. So he, he says, don't do theater. Mm -hmm. Um, there's no money in it. No, he said it was risky in terms risky. of really being successful in it. Yeah. It was risky. Yeah. What do you make of that counsel? It's so funny you say this because I will, I will say, and I've been, been reflecting on this a lot in the last couple of years. Um, my dad, while that was conservative counsel from him, yeah. my dad has actually been the person who has encouraged me to be the most risky in my career. Interesting. Yeah. Like when I was 30, actually 29, and I wanted to leave agency life and start my own company. Yeah. I had no idea how to do it and I had no money to do it. And my dad was like, what was the worst, what's the worst thing that can happen? Like you will learn so much from this and you can always go back and get a real job, but you should really try this. Yeah. Like, give it a, give it a go. So he's always been an advocate and a, an ear. He's the, he's the call I make when I'm like, all right, really, what should I think about this when yep. it comes to career changing or pathing? Um, and he's always been, um, helping me lean into the risk of things, yeah. which I, has been pivotal for me. And so that college sort of, you know, don't do the, ma the theater ma major was probably one of the only things he's ever really said that was like, yeah, be, don't be so risky. And I think, frankly, I mean, Syracuse was an expensive school, even 30 some odd years ago. Right. And it was a private school. And um, I think it was like, you know what, I want, I want to make sure that my investment works hard for you. Yep. I think that was really the message back then. Yep, yep, yep. And do, so do you feel that um, while he told you to start your own business, mm 
mm-hmm. that risk, the risk of theater was just too risky? Or was it a risk that he was less familiar with? It might have been, you know, it might have been made up of a couple of things. Yep. I mean, to put context around this, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. So classic Midwestern yep. with Midwestern parents who, you know, my dad had the same job for 30 plus years at the same company, right? Yep. So it was a different way. And here I am, this like whimsical, big energy, dancing on stage. Right. right? It was very sort of big. Unknown, yeah. And, and maybe a little unknown. And I think that that in some ways, now looking back and having a five-year-old son of my own, like I look, I look at it a little differently and I think, you know what, I want something that will pay off long-term. And I think that that was part of what my dad was thinking. Uh, was, was thinking, and it was it was less about believing in my ability yep. or you know that, and much more about like the looking to when I'm 45, like today, and saying, "Will you be happy? And will you be able to parlay that into something meaningful for you for the course of your life, not just for your 20s and into your early 30s, where you could probably make, probably make a real go of it, but then really actually end up needing a second career." Right, 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 right. Super so it's pretty insightful, actually. Yeah. yeah, super fascinating. Yeah. So you go to college, you study critical theory. Mm-hmm. What happens next? <laughs> I go home to Cleveland yep. for five, uh, almost five months. Yep. I do, interestingly enough, I hadn't connected this until you asked me this question. Mm-hmm. I go back home and I do some semi-professional theater. In the okay. summer. <laughs> Weird, right? Yep. Um, uh, and, and again, this was like 1991. So it wasn't a time where people took a gap year or it was real popular to go to Europe for a year. Like you graduated and you went and got a job. That's right. And so I landed at home for the summer. I knew that I wasn't meant to stay in Cleveland, um, but I wasn't sure where I was going to go. I originally thought I would go to New York City because I went to Syracuse. So many of my friends were going to New York. Yep. So I went home for the summer and thought, all right, I'm going to put my head around this. I'll do a show. I'll kind of ground myself and then I'll figure it out. And I got a temp job in communications um, that turned into a real job for two months. Um, My boss ended up uh, trying to sexually harass me along with about 11 other young women at the the company and actually got um, sort of escorted out of the building uh, and a yeah, no, that was an interesting one at the ripe age of ripe young age of twenty one. Right, and then I um, kind of said, you know what, I'm out of here, and I told my dad I'm moving to Washington D.C. One of my girlfriends from college is also moving there. We're going to find a place to live, um, and it was a bit of a safety net for me at that time. I looked at it as a stepping stone to New York, where I was like, you know what, I need to conquer a decent sized city before I go to New York because New uh-huh. York. Just really big. Right. And and I had family there, so I felt like if things got weird or crazy, I had uncles and aunts and a bunch of cousins that lived in the DC area. Yep. Um so for some reason it felt like the right place to go. I didn't have an interest in politics. I didn't want to work on Capitol Hill. I wanted yep. to sort of get more into like the theater arts or the creative um arts there. So I moved and Found an apartment with a group of girls, and my first job was um, at, I was the marketing coordinator at the Capitol Children's Museum, which was 
um, one of the only children's museums at that time in the country. Yeah. Uh, and it was in the hood in Southeast DC in like this crazy, scary neighborhood. And I went there every day and, um, it was really cool. Um, I got paid, wait for it, $14,000 a year right? with no health insurance. Yep. Um, and the first, my first big thing that I did there really set me on my path to what I've been doing ever since. Um, we got an opportunity to put on display the first ever exhibition of the life and work of cartoonist Chuck Jones uh-huh. from Warner Bros., who did Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner and every character that was epic to our childhood. Um, and I handled the whole thing, like all the marketing, the launch event, all the media. I knew nothing about any of those things. I totally made it up as I went along. Yeah. The um, architecting of the exhibition with Chuck Jones himself, um, and it it like flicked on the lights where I was like, oh, communications, marketing, right? This yeah. is about expression, and it's about creativity, and it's about using words to have power in yep. meaningful ways, and and that sort of kind of was it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And so at that time, and that's such an interesting way you, you phrased it. So at that time, you had that realization that sort of those core elements, the use of words, the way to express, the way to have power with communication, that became really clear to you. It did. And, and I will say it had always been a big part of just how I was wired. Um, I was always the one that people would come to for advice. If yep. they really wanted the truth, um, I was honest to a fault. Yep. You know, I was very um, clear and specific with, with my words always. I had an acumen for language ever since I was a baby. I started reciting poetry when I was nine months old. So I was always, yeah, weird, right? Crazy. I was <laughs> always verbal. Um, but then I realized what that actually could become through this this opportunity to work with Chuck Jones. Yeah. So. I realized, oh, you could do something meaningful. Like you could have a career out of words, out of, right? And that, it really was when it all sort of clicked for me. Would you say that, um, did it click to the level of, you know, this is uh, my mission slash purpose in life? No, I I was, (laughs) I sometimes like to say half jokingly that I was kind of an a-hole when I was in my 20s. Um, I, I sort of wasn't awake to the world. Um, in, in some ways I wasn't awake to the world. So for me using words in a meaningful way didn't align around a purpose. Um, though I will say when I was in high school, I was always involved in like fundraisers and social causes and doing things that had like social meaning, um, from the time I was like 15 years old and pretty, some pretty meaningful things, um, at that. So, those two things didn't merge together until I was probably 29. So yeah. I spent my 20s kind of mucking around in it and learning. And, and um, I went from the Children's Museum into agency life and quickly started being assigned projects that were pretty powerful around a social issue. So, for yeah. example the last showing of the AIDS quilt on the National Mall was, was one of my projects. That's amazing. Right? And um, hearing from the activists, and this was in, remember, this was 1995. So this was just after AIDS was even recognized as like a real thing. Right. <laughs> it was a disease, right? Right. Um, and 
so I, I, I started quickly getting attached to doing projects of meaning. I did a big breast cancer initiative with the Department of Defense and uh, launched a Golden Globe Award-winning movie for Turner Network Television about racism. Yeah. And, you know, so started working in the reproductive rights movement. And so those two things in my mid to late 20s quickly started marrying up where I recognized that the moments that were most powerful of the work I was doing connected to the way that you would talk about it. Yeah. And something in, I probably was maybe 27-ish when I was like, oh, this is a whole lot more than just doing PR. Yeah. That's so it's like moving issues right. forward. Laura, we'll talk about this in a second because obviously your career continues to go down the path of, of, uh, of purpose. Purpose as we broadly define it, right? Um, mm -hmm. Sort of social, social movement. My question to you though is, is there also just, do you ever think about purpose just in terms of why am I here? <laughs> you know, regard, yeah. regardless of regardless of sort of the world around me, mm -hmm. uh, do I as a being have a sort of unique role to play? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Um, and I will credit my mom um, with some of that, allowing yeah. me to have some of that thinking. My mom was always um, really into not that big picture thinking as much, but she loved astrology, which is a lot about a person's unique forces that make up who they are based on their birth date and what role that they're designed to play yeah. in the world kind of. Right. Yep. Um, and so, I mean, my first chart was done when I was four years old and <laughs> I've always had an interest because of her in those other questions like, yep. what am I really here to do? What am I designed for? What am I, how am I supposed to have meaning or how am I supposed to impact people? Um, and then when I, when I was a little older, when I was 28, I moved to San Francisco and um, got much more into that world and really started exploring that. I think it was around, I was 28, um, which is the time of Saturn rising yep. um, for um, for people, which is that seven-year cycle of that actual question, which is helping um, helping a person understand what their role is on the planet or in the universe, and yep. and what they're what what uniquely you're designed to do. And it yeah. usually presents itself by way of challenge. But through that challenge, you actually, if you're open to it, you actually can really learn what you're meant to what you're meant to do. So. so yeah. Oh no, that's great. Um, can you take us a step further on that? How how did that? Um, uh, if you're willing to share, what was how did how did that challenge present itself to you, and what how did you what kind of conclusions did you arrive at? Um, I am happy to share that. I actually um, I had a guide. Um, in some ways, now I think I can look at him as a guide. Um, but then he was my boyfriend, uh -huh. and I met. Um, Two months before I turned 28, I met a guy who I was in a relationship with for 11 years. Um, he, I, we were engaged, and he was. We met in D.C. He was from Palo Alto, and he was one of those people who helps you light up your life in interesting ways by challenging you. Yep. Um, and he thought so differently from everything I knew. He's a total West Coast guy, like in every way. 400 some odd Grateful Dead shows and you know, seeing the world in a totally different way. Um, and it had a profound impact on me for the better. Um, he 
challenged my thinking on many levels, which was incredibly frustrating, but, <laughs> right. but forced me into a state of uh, envisioning the, what's possible and seeing that you can do what you love and what you're passionate about and get paid for it. Um, yep. And also think about your role in the universe and, and what that happen, what what you can do with that in a powerful way. So I dated him all through my Saturn return and he, there were many challenges. Um, he was struggled with drugs and alcohol yep. and that struggled our, you know, put struggle on our relationship. It challenged sure. me in about con- being confined. It challenged me about being a guide. It challenged yep. me in so many ways. And he, within that though, was one of the people that, that said to me, you're meant for something bigger. You are meant to guide people. You're meant to be a messenger. Yep. You're meant to um, be a mentor, um, a challenger of the status quo, a person who, because you have power in your words, who can um, wake people up in a meaningful way. And so he really, he really pushed me in those ways, and it was uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, and so coming out of Saturn Return, having put him through rehab and starting my business, um, my agency, which I had for 12 years, um, he pushed me into exploring things like yoga and meditation, which yep. was an incredible catalyst in my Saturn return to really set me on, on a, the path that I think has put me where I am today. Yeah. So he really was part of that catalyst in Saturn return. Wasn't always easy. Totally yeah. grateful for it. Wouldn't change anything about it. Um, and he and I are still great friends. So he's, I can call him and be like, if I have moments where I'm like, what am I doing? I can call him and be like, what am I doing? What? Right. what? Can you remind me? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And, you know, and he's, he's a great friend and he'll be like, don't forget who you are. It's an amazing, uh, amazing experience. Yeah, totally. Um, really interesting. So you, so between, so you do this uh, marketing at this museum and then you jump straight into agency life. I do. Yeah. What was the opportunity and what, uh, what prompted that transition? I, um, I don't know. (laughs) Actually, think about it. Um, I knew that uh, nonprofits weren't the place for me to work within as an employee, but I wanted to maybe work around. But I wanted, my mind is quick. I like to do a few things at the same time. I like to think about a variety of topics in a day. And I had a friend who worked in an agency and was like, you know what, if I'm going to explore this communications thing, that probably would be some good sort of like going to grad school, you know, you go get some training to figure right. out what you're, how you can think about communications in different ways. Um, and so I started interviewing um, at agencies. I, I took a role with a small regional agency in D.C. called Earl Palmer Brown. Yep. I got to work on some pretty cool projects, um, the Learning Channel, Discovery Channel, early on. And um, wh- almost exactly one year after I got hired, I got laid off because they wow. were having cuts at the agency. I was 25. Yep. Talk to 26. us. Can I pause you there for a second? Yeah. Talk, talk to us about that. What, what, what's what's uh, getting laid off at that age? What's it like to get laid off when you're 25? Yeah. Um, it, was, um, it was a real blow to, it, it was a big blow. I mean, I had yep. no money in savings. Um, it was three weeks before I was moving. So, you know, you need all, you always all need a little bit of get. extra money. Yep. Right. To, security deposit and all exactly. the stuff for moving. 
and I got laid off and I had like, they had no severance for me because I was only there here. And it was a blow to my like career path mentality. It was a blow to my pocketbook. Um, you know, it was that week was was really tough. Yes. Um, I had to take a loan out to be able to move and pay off all my bills. And it, it was a great test because it was like, okay, you just moved into a new house. You have no money to, um, you know, kind of buy the bathroom items that you need for said house and you got to go find a job. So it quickly showed me how I am in the face of a challenge. Um, and it was like, okay, like step it up, sister, get, see what you're made of here. Yeah. And so I made my job getting a job and I literally spent all day pounding pavement, trying to meet people, trying to interview, updating my resume 72 different ways so I could look viable as a candidate for different roles. Right. Um, and one month later to the day, I got uh, an offer from Hill and Knowlton. Yep. I took it with a pay cut. Um, of a couple thousand dollars, yep. but it was an entree into bigger agencies. Um, and That's amazing. One month. One month. Almost exactly one month to the day. I mean, I, I worked my tail off. It was every single day that yeah. I, I worked at it. Who do, you, who do you attribute that level of sort of resiliency um, and just kick-assness to? <laughs> at the time, I didn't realize it was kick-assness. Um, I probably, either, either of my parents, yeah. I probably would say, um, you know, sort of that pull yourself by your bootstraps mentality. kind of thing. Yeah. It's a good Midwestern uh, mentality. It's like, put your head down, get it done. Yep. And my dad and mom both, when, when my brother and I were little, you know, you try out for things and you don't get the part or you don't make the team or... And my, I remember one thing that my dad said to me once when I was, I don't know, like 13, 14. He's like, you're not going to make every team. You know that, right? Right. And I was like, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> and he was like, you will learn more from the failure of things than from succeeding every single time. Right. And I mean, I'm 45 years old now. And I remember that advice from when I was 13. And I think that really had something to do with it. It was like, okay, I can lick my wounds for a few days. And yep. that sucks. But I, at some point, I have to pull myself up by my bootstraps and realize that failure doesn't define me. And yeah. frankly, now looking back, I, I think what I would call it is sort of that F you mentality of yep. like, yeah, you're going to let me go. I'm going to get twice a better job. Be careful what you wish for. I'm, go- I'm, I'm, I'm pushing forward. I love it. Um, and my mom's advice to me always when I was younger was be independent and be self-sufficient as a yep. woman. You should never have to depend on anybody to, pay your way or excel or thrive or get what you want. Be independent and be self-sufficient. And that, that actually was a detriment in some ways in relationships. Because uh-huh. I would be too independent and too self-sufficient and uh-huh. not soft. Um, and, and so it wasn't good there. But when it came to career, it really, really paid off. So I think the combination of those two pieces of advice were really pivotal for me. Love it. Um, so then you get an offer at uh, Hill Nolan. Mm-hmm. Public relations agency. Yeah. Uh, what what uh, what was that experience like, and and where does it go from there? Um, that was a, a hugely pivotal experience, um, and actually, uh, I when I was there, I met my mentor who taught me how to be the type of PR person that I am today. 
Um, and we are still good friends all these years later. His name is David McKay and he was my boss and he, he taught me everything I know today about elegance and polish and political navigation at work and not taking no for an answer, but finding your way around things, um, being an exquisite writer for in a variety of mediums, um, and learning how to flex learning how to manage people. Um, he gave me so many opportunities. He was sometimes brutal in his feedback, and I loved him for it. We just yeah. had this, he was funny, um, but you took him seriously because he was so smart. He was such a freaking genius. He still is. He's a total yeah. genius. And the nicest guy. Um, and he, he seriously set me off on my career path. The other thing is, is I learned about the power of tribe when I was at uh, Hill and Knowlton because... I was in a group of people that we were all around the same age. We were all around the same title. And we quickly became this tribe of friends that uh-huh. in D.C. that um, um, worked together. We went to happy hour together. We, you know, helped each other find dates. We did all kinds of stuff. And yep. a lot of those people are my, my, still my good friends all these years later. So it really speaks to the power of tribe because when I, I remember one. One um, afternoon, I was um, working on an account with two senior partners, two men and me. That was the account. And it was opening a cigar bar, a celebrity-owned cigar bar in Washington, Uh D.C. (laughs) I know, weird, right? Um, And they invited me to the lunch with the celebrity, Joey Pantoliano. (laughs) And if you remember him, he was was in a lot of those, like... um, gangster movies back yep. in the day. And we went to this really Washington lunch spot where all three of those guys managed to suck down two, three martinis. And here I was, I was 27 and I was like, oh, I'm drinking with them. I'm not being the like silly girl, young girl that looks like an assistant at the table with these, with a celebrity and these two, you know, 45, 50 year old senior executives. Right. And I got completely shit-faced <laughs> at lunch because I was 27 and not really right. a big drinker at the time. Um, and I came back to the agency and my good friend Peter, um, who's still my friend today, took one look at me and he was like, get under your desk and take a nap. I will do your work for you this afternoon. Right. And he stuffed 50 press kits for me and pitched media that I was supposed to have pitched in the afternoon. And he completely took he, he took over for me while I slept off my martinis. <laughs> and that that's a really, good tribe. It's a great tribe. And it yep. really is, was a great lesson um, for, as my son likes to say, all of the days about the power of having a good tribe. Yep. So H&K was a really big deal at the time for me. Um, and, and I learned a ton. I was there for a couple of years. Yeah. And so um, where, where do you go after that? Um, a few years later, I got courted by um, DDB Needham. Uh, which was actually an advertising agency <clears throat> that was opening up a PR division to um, work in their and help run their Washington, D.C. office. And um, I took the role for a few reasons. One, the accounts that I was would be leading included the EPA Energy Star program. <clears throat> yep. So I got to work on environmental issues. Um, the National Abortion Rights Federation, which or National Abortion Rights Action League, NARAL, yep. and the National Abortion Federation. So I went deep into the belly of the beast when it came to working on social issues. And yep. some of my experiences at, at Hill and Knowlton with the AIDS quilt and the, the 
the movie that I launched with John Frankenheimer, the award-winning Academy yeah. Award-winning director on racism, like those things were the kind of the precursor for moving over to DDB and working on truly issue-driven types of projects. Um, and I stayed there only a year. Um, the reason isn't because I didn't love the work, um, but the reason was because I took a trip to to San Francisco. Um, I had been in D.C. for six years, yep. almost seven years, all of the Clinton administration. And I was sort of tapped out in D.C. Um, my best friend who lived in San Francisco at the time said, you know, you just need to pl- not find a place that rocks your world. And when you find it, you will go to it. And so not long after that, I went to visit her. In, she was living in, in San Francisco. And I swear to you, I wasn't even off the plane. And I knew that, that San Francisco was my home. Yeah. Like I... I um, felt it. Oh, felt it. Like yep. seismic shift felt it. Uh, landed, looked out the window, and was like, I'm never leaving this place. Yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And so I found a job in San Francisco. I made my mission to, to find a job in San Francisco. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. So uh, you really felt the need for a kind of city feel change. It was, it was a city feel change, but more than that, it was an energetic change. Energetic change. Perfect. Yep. Really? It was, I looked around and it was, San Francisco was all about possibility. It was, I sat, I remember one day I was, I was by myself because my friend was at work and I walked all through the Marina district and I grabbed a little like burrito at a burrito shop and I walked down to the Marina Green and I sat on a bench and I looked at the East Bay, the Golden Gate Bridge, I sat on the water and I was like, I've never felt like I could be better in yep. any place ever. Like it just felt like I could, I could be anybody who I wanted to be. I could explore all these other parts of me. It was a spiritual feeling. It was, it was like a calling. It was literally as close to a calling as I probably have felt with one other exception. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I, I don't get the sense uh, that a lot of people appreciate that. Yeah. How, how much your environment or a city can kind of lift you. It really can. Um, and it's an, it, it truly is an energy thing. Like, yeah. And I credit my best friend with saying that to me. She's like, when you find a place that rocks your world, you'll know it. You'll just know it. Yeah. Um, and she was so right, like just so right. And I ended up in San Francisco, uh, stayed there 16 years. That's incredible. So you um, find a job there. I do. Yeah. From DC. Um, I, I did one of maybe the 10 things I'm not proud of in my career, which was I was flown out for a project with the current agency I was working with and I kind of, um, disappeared for an afternoon and interviewed at two different agencies. Um, I got offers from both of them and I went to work for a high tech consumer agency called, um, um, Niehaus Ryan Wong. Yep. They were working with um, Yahoo at the time. This was during the dot com boom, like when when Yahoo it was young. Uh, there was no Google, um, and so I worked on Apple, A Bug's Life, and I worked on. I ran the Yahoo PR business um, and launched a bunch of their properties and did e commerce and worked on Creative Labs and I, I got into the tech thing. Um, it was high powered and fast and creative and it was so cool. Um, and for like two and a half years, I think I was there. Yep. And, um, about 
four months before the dot-com bubble was about to burst, um, the agency was starting to struggle. And I also at that time had realized like I was working 12 hour days. Yep. I had neglected like my body. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling good. I hadn't done anything good for society in a while. I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't really, um, sort of thrived the way that I thought I would. Yep. And so I, um, quit outright. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> So this is one of the crazier things I'd ever done. I I decided that I would um, start my own gig. Yep. Um, I actually, this is going to sound weird, but you did ask about like the bigger picture. What are you meant for? Question. Yeah. I actually dreamt about it um, two years before I did it. I I had a dream that I quit my job and started uh, my own thing, working on causes that I believed in. Yeah. And the only reason why I remember that was that I wrote it in a dream journal, uh-huh. and I found it a couple of years after I actually did it. Um, I found that book when I was moving, That's and I found awesome. that dream journal. I know, and I opened it up, and I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I dreamt this. Um, yeah. So I, I had um, my vacation money, which was like $2,600, um, a spare bedroom in the house I was renting, and a laptop that I had stolen from the agency that was about to go under. And right. I was like... I'm going to go do this now. I, I don't know how I do it. I don't know much about business. I don't know what, how, what I'm offering. Um, but all I know is that I have a really great network of people yeah. and I can, I, I, I can figure it out. So I, I, that, I quit and that's how I started Social Planets. That's amazing. It's crazy. Yeah, super crazy. Super crazy. Uh, and, and, and again, this risk, your dad is perfectly on board with. Well, this was the one, and I'll remember a, a really little phone call. I called home, and I was like, so this is what I think I'm going to do. And my mom, I, I was the phone call first was with my mom, and my mom was like, no way. You can't do this. You, you don't know what you're doing. You won't ever be accepted back. It was all fear-based. It uh-huh. was like, you'll never be accepted back into corporate America if you don't leave without a vice president title. You are a woman. You'll never achieve anything in your career if you don't stay and toe the line all of these things about how I wouldn't end up succeeding and like had me in tears and then my dad got on the phone and he was like you want to know what I think and I was like on the floor literally like a puddle and I was like I guess so and he was like I think you need to go for it yep and I was what he's and that's when he said what's the worst thing that could happen yeah that's amazing Wow. So I, I tried it. The only rule that I had when I started it was I knew that the, I, I only wanted to work on things I believed in. That was my rule. Yeah. I only wanted to work on causes or issues that I had uh, passion for um, and that I thought could make a difference in the world. That was the rule. Yeah. So and, really, um, really kind yeah. of your attempt to merge personal passion with, with your work. Yeah, exactly. So how to go? Um, it was 12 years of amazing on yeah. every level. It taught me the true meaning of work-life balance. Um, I got to, I, I, I quickly added a couple of other rules, which was like, okay, I'm only going to work out of a house. Um, I want to have my dogs by my feet. I want to be able to go for a hike. I want to go to a yoga class. I want to have freedom in my operating environment. And so, um, it went really well a month or two, maybe it was two months after I started it, I had two clients 
I Planned Parenthood of the Bay Area, so I, I did all the, the communications for all of the Planned Parenthoods at the corporate level, yep. um, and the San Francisco Health Plan, both of, both of whom were clients of mine for, I don't know, maybe the entire time I had the business. Yep. Um, and within a year, I had four or five people working for me, and at that time, there were not a lot of agencies that were specialty firms that really focused on things like this, like for the nonprofit sector, for corporate responsibility, or for social causes. So I was really kind of a one of, I, I didn't know it at pioneer. the time. I was a pioneer. I had no idea. Yep. I was sort of like just this girl wanting to do good work. Right. Um, and... The other big thing that happened in the first year of starting my business was I um, I was practicing yoga more and more. I had started um, the first time I'd ever kind of taken a yoga class was right after college in 1992 um, in New York City. My best friend took me to this place um, which had like purple walls and people standing on their heads and right. this crazy chanting music. And I was like, this is the coolest effing thing I've, I've <laughs> been around. And it really struck a deep, deep, deep deep chord in me. And I was like, hmm, mental note, coming back to that. And I'd always dabbled in DC. I'd taken classes. And when I lived in San Francisco, I had lived two blocks from a yoga studio and I'd started going regularly. And I'd started studying with this teacher. Her name was Kachi Ananda. Um, and I was in her classes three times a week. And at that time, she offered the very first ever uh, teacher training for that studio. And I was like, hmm, know if I ever want to teach yoga, but I, I want to learn more about this. I want to dive in deeper. I want to learn about philosophy and, and the history of yoga and, and what, what all these deities are about and why yep. we chant mantra and like all of that. And it just seemed to line up really well with my work because I was trying to do good in my work and, and yoga seemed like an extension of it and I had the time to do it. So I did my first teacher training and as part of that training, I had to actually assist in a class, like physically help teach a class. Yep. Um, and of course, Kachi's classes sold out all the time. So there were like 100 people in those classes. And the very first time I put my hands on a student to adjust them in a yoga pose, it was like a lightning rod hit me. Uh-huh. It was like landing in San Francisco, really. Um, Amazing. The second exception to the, the, that was the second time. Like it hit me like a lightning rod. And it was like seriously the closest I've ever had to anything whispering in my ear, this is what you're meant to do. You were meant to be a teacher. Yeah. And so I started teaching yoga at the same time I was starting this business um, within like two or three months of, of it. And I've been teaching yoga ever since. Actually, that was 16, seven, that was in 2000. So 15, going on 16 years. So you're launching a business and you're teaching yourself how to teach yoga. I am, yes. And <laughs> you want to hear the biggest ironic twist? Yep. Hachi Ananda, the teacher, um, was the teacher in the class that I had taken with the Purple Walls in 1992. Yep. Oh, wow. Yes, which um, led me to the style of yoga that I teach, which is called Jiva Mukti Yoga. Yep. Um, and she was a teacher um, of Jiva Mukti for, I mean, 20 plus years at the, what I call the mothership in New York City. And when we put those two things together. She's like, yeah, I used to teach in New York. I was at the Jiva Mukti Center. And I was like, wait, with the purple walls. She was like, yeah, I was always in the Monday. I always taught the Monday night class. I was like, oh my God. Because I, <laughs> I remember, because she had really long flowing hair. And yeah. like she was she's a particularly beautiful type of person. And yep. so it hit me. So it was like all of these like universal forces kind of coming together to be like, you asked about that path that yeah. you thought 
should be on? Well, we're going to give you a whole lot of signs that you're on it. Like, ding, ding, ding. We're lighting this up for you right now. Keep walking. Keep walking. What's fascinating to me is I'm listening to you. The you know from an outsider perspective, starting a business, teaching yourself how to be a yoga instructor it sounds just those two things alone sound like an incredible load. Um, do they? I guess so. <laughs> but but they don't. Feel, they obviously don't feel like that to you. I'm, I'm fascinated. It just it kind of tells me that my tolerance is pretty much zero. <laughs> 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 but 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 it, but it's you know I'm I'm just fascinated by it. I think it's 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 super interesting, and I'm wondering what how, how did it feel going through it? It must not have felt like a load, and you must have felt something different. No, and that's a really interesting perspective. So thank you for for giving that to me. No, it didn't at the time. It felt um, as free as I could possibly be. Yeah. Like it didn't feel like a lot. It felt like a rhythm and it felt like a rush and it felt like I was, I remember it was like a few months in um, to this sort of new way of having a life. And that wasn't, I used to say to my, my ex-partner, you know, I, I don't want to be, I'm afraid of living without direct deposit. Literally, yeah. I, used to, I used to say that. I'm, I'm afraid of not having direct deposit. And it was, I was standing in a Safeway grocery store at two o'clock in the afternoon buying groceries, which you could never do when you have a full-time job because that just doesn't happen. And, um, and I remember thinking, this is exactly how I want to live my life. I want to be able to have the freedom to do this and then contribute, teach a class and then work all night if I want to, or be really good to clients because I'm, I'm healthy or, Right. And, and that, that moment of being in a safe way at 2 PM was like on a Thursday yeah. was, was, was like in, indicative of that. It was indicative of that. And it didn't feel like a load or a lot at the time because it didn't feel what feels like a lot to me now, having had that life and yeah. truly the meaning of work-life balance truly, yeah. um, is to go back into so-called corporate America and work in big agencies again. Yeah. And, I, d- I, I now do that for very specific reasons, but I, I know the difference Yeah, and because I got to have that kind of authenticity in my life and my work for 12 years. So really, it was a, a well-architected existence. It was, though I was making, I literally, in my mind, was making it up as I went along. Yeah, yeah. It was all intuitive. It was like, I don't want that. I want that. I want more of that. I want lots more of that. Yeah. I want that. I don't want that. You know. So as you alluded to now, that comes to an end at some point and you find yourself in in the corporate structure. Why did it end? Why are you in the corporate structure to the extent that you're in now? <laughs> you're in now. And 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 how do you you know what what's how do you sort of reconcile that? Um it actually is was a lot easier than it, it seemed. Um yep. I loved every second of the uncertainty. I know it sounds weird, but I loved every second of the uncertainty of having my own business. Yep. But it was a seven-day-a-week operation. You know, as you're, when you're the CEO and founder of an agency, like, you do your billings on Sundays because that's right. just kind of how you ro- have to roll. If you want the kind of life where you get to leave at 3 o'clock and teach a yoga class at 4 o'clock and go visit with your meditation teacher at the spiritual center at night, right? Like, so, so you do it because that's just how you roll and, and it all makes sense. But I, um, I split up with my part, my, my fiance, uh, at that time it was 2008. I did a bunch of healing, um, and was ready to start dating again. And about a month or two after I was kind of trying to put myself back out there because I was 38 at that time. 
Um, yep. I was older. All my friends were married, had babies. Like I was definitely not doing that. And I wanted, I wanted a, I wanted a life partner. I really yep. did. Um, so a couple of months after that, out of the blue, I get an email with the, the subject header said that said blast from the past, uh-huh. uh, from <laughs> the guy that I was absolutely crazy about when I was 13 years old that I grew up with. Wow. Yeah. Like random, totally random. Um, and I'm, it was a Saturday morning. I actually remember the date because I'm weird like that. It was November 7th. It was a Saturday. <laughs> I was walking through my office to let my dogs in from the backyard because um, I was going to go teach a yoga class. And, you know, I just like popped up my laptop just like to see if anything had come in. It was a Saturday, whatever. I had coffee in my hand. And I saw Chuck Sutfin, subject header, blast from the past. And it literally stopped me in my tracks. Uh-huh. I was like, I mean, I hadn't heard from him. I hadn't seen him since he graduated in 1986 from our high school. And he went off to college. And I think I saw him once at a bar in the summer. Um, Fast forward, never saw him again after that. And I was living on the West Coast. And he sent me this note. And um, it turned out that uh, another guy that I grew up with had added me to his Facebook page. And they were all at a bar. And he told Chuck, hey, I, I Facebooked with Laura Knott just my old last name and I guess Chuck was like give me her email and he sent me a note and that went this was November 7th we started emailing then we started texting and I was coming home to Cleveland to see my family for Christmas and I was like I've not seen you in 25 years why don't we get a drink and um, two days after uh, I saw him in Cleveland we were engaged wow yeah it was like he is my person. Yep. Within 30 minutes, it was, we, I was, we were like done. We just yep. like n- kind of knew. Um, and um, that was that. And so we got married 10 months, nine months later. Uh-huh. And I got pregnant a few months after that with um, our now almost five-year-old son, Benjamin. And yep. when um, I had him and went on maternity leave that I had to basically pay for you know, on my own because I had my own agency and didn't have right. a journey to leave. Um, and I was coming back into the work world. I was like, yeah, you know what? The seven day a week thing is probably not going to work. I think I need structure in a way. Um, I still want to contribute meaningfully to work that matters to me, but I think I need, I need a structure to do it. That makes sense. Yep. So one, you could say I did it for love, um, <laughs> but I did it to be able to have a different kind of balance. Sure my with my family and with my kiddo and one of the interesting things though coming back into it was I wasn't and this is going to sound really weird or maybe terrible but at 41 coming back into big agency life I wasn't as interested or concerned with career advancement like my goals were totally different I wanted to produce good work. I wanted to do, have meaning. I wanted to work on causes and topics that really mattered to me, but I wanted, but my family was first and I was completely happy with that. Totally fine. But I still wanted to be a badass in my career. Like make no mistake. I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to make an impact. Um, I wanted to have a big girl job, but I also didn't care about the outcome or doing it for the advance, the personal advancement as I was about the, um, the personal satisfaction and then I could leave it behind and, and be present for my son and for family events and for things that mattered. Absolutely. So whereas before you had architected your life around you, now you were architecting your life around your family. Yeah. And it wasn't a sacrifice. Yep. I, I mean, I remember my husband and I 
now husband and I sitting out on our deck when I was pregnant and we, we asked that kind of question, you know, we're about to have a kid and everything's about to change. You know, do you regret anything or is there anything you wish you had done? And I was like, there's really nothing I wish I would have done except for one thing, which was I had wanted to go to India, um, to an ashram and, and study more deeply, yeah. um, in, in my yoga studies. And that's the only thing I could come up with that I wished that I had done before I had my kid. That was it. Yeah. That's oh, pretty so fucking great. That was pretty fucking great. Yeah. It was, I felt really content and really complete. And I was so ready to open up that chapter of like parenting. And I was a guide to students and to young women in their PR paths. Um, and I, that I consider that my real job now in, yep. in PR, but I, it was now about being a guide to a little person, to yeah. making him a super cool, thriving, holistic kid in the world. Who's super cute, by the way. Thank you. He's a good little guy. So you are now still, though, heading up a social purpose practice in I a am. large public relations agency. I am. So mm-hmm. that thread is there and it's alive and kicking. It is. And... um you know, you, you work on those topics for long enough, you become something of an expert. Um, and you know, you can bring that, it becomes a, I mean, just from like pure business agency terms, it becomes a business driver. Um, it is now where it wasn't 15 years ago. It is today ever present in corporate America. People are now judged by their, um, corporate responsibility efforts. uh, If they're authentic, if they're transparent, um, and consumers, like people, everyday humans, are smarter and wanting more meaning from their lives and are asking tougher questions of the agencies and the organizations and the, the choices they make and the things they buy and the companies that they buy from. And and it requires companies to have a conscience where they probably got away without having one for a really long time. So yep. my work is actually thriving because the consumer, you know, the culture of consumer thinking and people thinking has shifted to demand and feel like they have the right to ask those questions and get answers. And so my work is a lot about helping companies open their eyes to those things and helping guide them uh, from the inside out to create more meaning in the work that they do. It's awesome. That's amazing. It's super cool. Really, really cool. A couple of closing questions for you. On a scale of one to 10, and you've sort of answered this, but I want to get a, a kind of a clearer answer where, where zero, let's say, is, is a total non-issue and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow. How, how large a shadow would you say financial considerations have had over your career path to date? I think it, it has been a scale, um, yeah. depending on the stage of my life. But um, when I started my agency, and I was t- almost 30, and I had no money, and I... It was like, I like nice things. Like, how am I going to live in San Francisco with really expensive rent and thrive when I right. have my my own business? And um, I had a lot of long talks with people that I consider trusted advisors. And I came to this conclusion of like, when you really do what you love, the money will follow. Yep. It just will. When you align what you're meant to do with that bigger picture purpose thing with your work, money will flow to you. It will. Yep. And it did, and it became a non-issue. And it, there have been moments where I've overspent because I'm impulsive that way sometimes. Yep. And <laughs> I've been tested there. Um, but it has largely been a non-issue. But I also have been doing the same kind of work for 20-plus years. So the financial burden of that was reduced because I 
really good at what I do because I've done it for so long. Yeah. Um, but it also is because I, I think I'm good at it because I am aligned with what I believe in. Yeah. I'm working on things that are, that I'm passionate about every single day. So the work comes easily and the money comes behind it. Yep. Amazing. So probably all in, I probably would say, um, uh, I probably would call it like a three. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and then lastly, Laura, knowing, knowing what you know today about your career path, how would you advise your younger self? Generally? Generally or careerly? <laughs> <laughs> careerly. Um, I would probably advise my younger self to embrace the risks. Yep. Stay open to the possibilities. Seek exquisite work. Yep. Meaning do your work exquisitely. Have integrity in your relationships yep. at work and beyond. Don't be afraid to say no to things, particularly if it is in conflict with your ethics or your belief system. Doesn't make you bad at your job. It makes you stronger in your belief system. Yep. Um, and other projects will come. And make sure that you really love what you're doing because there's you don't need to be unhappy yep. in your work. You don't need it. Well, I'm going to ask one more question if you don't mind. Yeah. The stay strong in your belief system. How, mm. how hard is that to do along the way? When you're young, it can be really hard because you're probably seeking more of a career track of like advancement. And I think a lot of young people feel like they have to say yes to things. Yep. Um, but I think it's really important. Yep. I've learned that. Now, I didn't know that when I was younger as much until yeah. I started testing it. But it's pretty important. Yeah, super important. Yeah, I think so. And young people today see it differently. I just had a discussion with a woman in my office. She's 22. Yep. And I was saying that. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, oh, wait, you millennials, you guys already know that. Right. She was like, yeah. She's like, that's how, we're, that, that's how we think. That's how we're And wired. I was like, whoa, that's so different than like the arc of learning that I had to go through to get there. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Laura Sutphin, amazing. Thank you. This was super fun. Yeah. I really, really, really interesting. this. Well, thank you for your time. Of course. Well, I hope you have a beautiful day. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating of the show on iTunes would also be hugely appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a good guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.